When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, a former NFL quarterback, Sage Rosenfels. We have a lot to do today, including Sage grinding the tape. I wrote a really big article about whether the Vikings window is closed. We also have Wayback Wednesday, which Sage gets to participate in this time in a game where you were suited up and uh, got to watch the Brett Favre experience. So we will get to all that. But uh, first, Sage, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I am doing really well. Sage, uh, your best friend, your buddy, your pal, your chum, uh, Drew Brees, is coming back. So your thoughts on Brees coming back for one more bite at the apple here? Uh, well, not surprising. I mean, he's still playing really good football, and, and uh, you know, I don't know if he's a top-five quarterback anymore, but I don't think you have to be. We saw that with Jimmy Garoppolo. He had to be good. It don't have to be great, and he's got a really, really good team around him, one of the best young teams in the NFL. Uh, so I you know, I thought this a couple of years ago after that Minneapolis miracle. I was like, man, this Saints team, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about the Vikings window a lot, but the Saints team at that time was just sort of entering their window uh, to to make it to make some Super Bowl runs, and I think right now they're right in the middle of it. So, uh, of any times to you know want to retire and leave that team, this is definitely not it. I think Breeze thinks he can win another championship, and and I think those Saints are going to be one of the you know probably four or five teams that people like is is winning the championship next year when, you, when we talk about Vegas and the odds. But because of the way that it ended. There's a little bit of a sour feeling with Breeze. They lost to the Minnesota Vikings in overtime. He was really good in bringing them back, but overall in that game struggled quite a bit. There was uh, pressure. Mike Zimmer came up with some creative schemes to get uh, Drew Breeze to struggle in the pocket, which he very, very rarely does. But I was looking at his numbers from last year, and of course he had the injury that limited his number of total dropbacks and his games played, but he finished with 116 quarterback rating. And the only quarterbacks who were graded higher than him as passers were Ryan Tannehill, which, you know, is still mind-blowing. and Which, by the way, we, we don't, it's not Ryan Tannehill. We call it 2019 Ryan Tannehill. Yes, 2019 Ryan Tannehill. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not person. Dolphins Ryan Tannehill. This is 2019 Ryan Tannehill. Uh, so the only quarterback that we're sure is actually good, who was graded higher than Drew Brees last year, was Russell Wilson, who had a, a case for the MVP. And, and in terms of, 
you know, just his pure passing grade, and he completed 74% of his passes, averaged almost eight yards an attempt. I mean, there would be really no reason to look at what he produced last year and say, yeah, Drew, sorry, buddy, it looks like you're falling off the edge of the earth. It's time to hang him up. Um, and, and I guess I, I wonder how you think that that changes who we view as Super Bowl contenders for next year. Because if Taysom Hill was taking over as the starting quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, I would just take them right off the list and say, I'm sorry, I cannot see them being a Super Bowl contender with Taysom Hill as their quarterback. But with Breeze coming back, you think about how close they were with that bad call against the Los Angeles Rams. And even against the Vikings, if they win the coin toss, the way that they were playing in the second half of that game, it's possible they go down and beat the Vikings. And it's a great Drew Breeze comeback win and instead, of course, it doesn't work out for New Orleans. But I I think with Breeze returning, they go right back up to the top and he gets another shot at being one of those quarterbacks who can win it and walk off. Yeah, I see them as a playoff team again. You know, their their division's interesting. Tampa's not any good uh, and Carolina's not very good. Atlanta wasn't, uh, has been down. So, you know, they are sort of far in the way the best team in that division, so I see them back in the playoffs. I see them making a run. And you look at the three quarterbacks on that roster last year, I would say for next year trying to win the Super Bowl, Drew Brees is the best option, maybe the next two years. Uh, for the next ten years, I like Teddy Bridgewater. You know, for mm-hmm. We're going to completely run a different offense, and Sean Payton is not going to be the, the pass-happy uh, offensive coordinator. That would have been a Taysom Hill situation, which I would think is, is the third best chance of, of winning some playoff games and winning a Super Bowl with the Saints. So I think there's, this is the right move for everybody. Not a surprise. I'm looking back at some of his stats from last year. He did not play his best football. I should say he played his worst football the last three games of the year. He, he was playing some top-notch football. Obviously, he was injured. In week two, missed the next five or so games, uh, came back in week eight, uh, and, and played really good football, uh, and, and really high quality stuff, but he did not play his best football at the end of the season. And obviously, you know, in that, in that playoff loss to, uh, to Minnesota, uh, just sort of played okay. Obviously didn't play great and, and, uh, the Vikings won that, that great game. Uh, in in overtime, so and, and that's uh, what you would be concerned about is that's it, always the concern with older guys. Right. You know, you just can you make it? Plus, he didn't even play so those five weeks. But um, you know, I'm not one of those like oh, he didn't play great the last two games. He was worn out. Sometimes you just don't play well. You're also just playing against good opponents. Mm-hmm. One of those opponents was the the Tennessee Titans, which is you know just uh they had a really good defense last year, and it was at Tennessee, so not a surprise he didn't play great football. But I think he's got plenty left in the tank. Anyone that's ever been in a Saints locker room, and and I mean Breeze is just in incredible shape. I when I was there for that Minneapolis miracle, you know he was getting dressed as I was talking to him, and I'm like, they're going. I, I felt terrible about myself. I was like, man, I need to work out. Uh, but he works out really, really, uh, really hard, and and uh, he trains with this guy Todd Durkin out in Southern California, in the San Diego area. And just stays in incredible shape, and and uh, you don't see him slowing down. I also sometimes have this thing where I feel like the guys who are a little bit shorter can sometimes play longer. I know it's different because Tom Brady and, and Peyton Manning are tall guys, and, and of course they play you know basically to their forty into their forties. But there's something about being a little bit shorter. You're a little bit uh, um, sometimes better balance. You're just not as you, you, your your limbs aren't as long, so injuries and things like that. It's just harder, I think, as you're taller. You watch a you know fifty year old NBA guy, and they can barely walk around the room sometimes. You mm-hmm. ever see if you ever see that because of the bad knees, and and uh, so I always thought you know some shorter guys like you know Favre's only six two, uh, you know. Short 
shorter guys can play a little bit longer, and obviously Drew's right at, Drew right at six foot. So Drew Brees last year got rid of the ball in 2.39 seconds, which was the fastest in the entire NFL. And when he threw it before two and a half seconds, he had 114.8 quarterback rating. Getting rid of the ball quickly, I think, is the key to playing longer. It is being able to process extremely fast and have an offense set up for you to release the ball before you're getting hit. He was only sacked 12 times. He was rarely pressured. They've also got the offensive line that's coming back that's very, very good. If they don't find a way, though, with a really tough cap situation to add a few more playmakers... That really got them in that playoff game where they had to rely on Jared Cook. Alvin Kamara didn't do a lot. The Vikings were able to mostly slow down Michael Thomas, and all of a sudden he didn't have too many more places to look. Um, so I think that's going to make it complicated because he's uh, naturally not going to come back for free uh, to the New Orleans yeah, Saints. So it's still going to cost them a lot. And, you know, of course, you know, I look at a situation where. A quarterback isn't like dominant and, and sort of can just overwhelm the other team in a situation where maybe Drew's going to be a little bit more of a game manager. Yeah. When you have that, I think you got to have, yes, you got playmakers on your side. Um, but I think on defense, you can get a couple more guys over there and sort of be more dominant on defense, just take a little bit more off of Breeze's shoulders. Uh, you know, that, that's always nice too. That's, you know, I went back and watched that 2000, I guess 2010. But the uh, wild was the wild no divisional round divisional, game between yeah. yep. the Vikings and the Dallas Cowboys, and that's the one thing our defense had, especially in that game, was a dominant, just sort of overwhelming defense. Made Brett Favre's job a heck of a lot easier. I think he only threw about twenty two, twenty three passes in that football game. Yes, and we will get to that uh, in our second segment for Way Back Wednesday. Now uh, the dominoes to fall here. This is the first thing to happen. The New Orleans Saints know who their quarterback is for 2020. They also know who their quarterback is not for the foreseeable future, and that's Teddy Bridgewater. I'm not saying that Sean Payton would be mad he was getting Drew Brees back, but I do wonder if it's a little bit of a Belichick with Jimmy Garoppolo situation where Sean Payton would look at it and go, yeah, I guess we got to take another shot, but now I don't know what my future is going to be because I have to move on from the guy who was our insurance policy for the future. So what do you think that means for Teddy Bridgewater, even potentially for Taysom Hill, and, and just how things could now fall with the Saints uh, being set up with their quarterback situation for next year? Well, he said... That I mean, uh, uh, Sean Payton said that Taysom Hill was an NFL, uh, you know, really good NFL starter. I believe, right? I mean, which is just weird. I I don't understand that. Well, I don't. Maybe he's or something. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. You know, he's a restricted free agent, right? So another team can offer if they can get a second round. Is that what he's doing? There's got to be some game there because there's no evidence that Taysom Hill can be a good NFL starter. He wasn't even good at quarterback in college. Well, there's not even. there's not, they're not competing with any. Like they're not, they don't have to offer him some big contract right now, right? So they can just literally do this, basically a one year deal, and they could also franchise in the future if that's what they really wanted to do. Yeah. So they're not really negotiating currently with Taysom Hill. He'll probably just get this, uh, um, this restricted free agent, you know, whatever, probably a second round tender or something like that. But trying to get somebody else, and they, you know, any coach knows. There's always like 10 to 12 teams who are looking for a quarterback who can come in and play, and a guy that's in the, I guess, the prime of his career. He's already been coached up and gotten used to the NFL game after three or so seasons. I mean, I imagine he would absolutely love 
uh, before this draft to have an extra, say, second round draft pick. That sure. would be that could be that defensive end or whatever we're talking about, that premier player that could end up making this team win a Super Bowl. So I, I think there, there's rarely a negative to talking up your own guys, right? Uh, yeah. Right. So and, and especially in this situation when he's not a regular free agent but a restricted free agent, which basically means that he's you know, get, basically has a one year contract and and there's really not there, there doesn't have to be any long term negotiation. So. So it, that's a great time to talk up your own players, hoping that somebody else comes in and tries to get them. Which, as an aside, if you were another team that was uncertain at your quarterback position, it would be a great idea to send a second-round pick or a third-round pick, whatever they decide to put the tender on him. Uh, if you've got extra draft capital and you think that there's potential that he could be your quarterback, or even if he's just your playmaker, if you want to use him the same way the Saints did, he was a pretty valuable player for him. If you were a rebuilding team with a ton of draft capital that was unsure at quarterback, it would make sense to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was just trying to figure out what is Sean Payton's game here because he had a chance to play Taysom Hill at quarterback for five games, and instead he played Teddy Bridgewater and won all five of them, and yet he's talking up Taysom Hill and not Teddy Bridgewater. Just kind of strange there. But what yeah, it is strange, and you know, you look around the league, and I just uh, I've seen Taysom Hill throw enough uh, that he's not a great thrower, um, and he is a really good runner, but we just have not seen a situation where yeah, the quarterback's a great runner, not a very good thrower, and they've really advanced far in the playoffs and made a run. Like we just don't see that, and, right. and Lamar Jackson's a much better runner than Taysom Hill, and he's probably a better thrower as well, right? And and so he's, he would be basically the only guy. So the, the rest of them, though, you got to be a good thrower. That's I've always said that with these quarterbacks coming out for the draft or whatever. Listen, I know he's athletic. I know he can run. He can do some of these different things. But, like, is he a good thrower? Like, you have mm-hmm. to be a good thrower. Uh, and then all the rest is, is, is sort of gravy. So if you were Teddy Bridgewater, give me your top three teams that you're telling your agent to get on the phone and call right now after Drew Brees puts it out on Instagram that he's coming back. Tennessee Titans. I think that's a team that's that... That's an interesting uh, one. I think, we, well, it's a good football team. They were in the AFC Championship game, right? You always, you know, that's the reason I went to Minnesota in the first place to compete with Tavares was I, you know, that was a good football team. You know, there was no reason to leave my situation for some bad team. Uh, but that team, I felt, you know, I, I could go in there. I wouldn't have to be a hero, and, and they'd won 10 games the year before. And, and uh, so you, that I think that's one of the best football teams in, in need of a quarterback. Um, let me think. I don't. I don't know about the rate. You know, the Raiders. Obviously, there's some Tom Brady smoke there. There's been some conversations about that. I don't know if it's if it's that football team. The Jaguars have a terrible salary cap situation, and just yeah, you the, don't want to go there. That's not a franchise. I, I think you really, really want to go to. Um, you know, Teddy's from South Florida, so maybe he he likes where the Dolphins are finally going. You know, they won five games despite themselves basically last <laughs> yes. year. It's like the coaches, the coaches and the team won five games despite the front office basically last year, uh, and that, which is sort of impressive. So maybe that team with all those draft picks and Teddy's going to be the you know, hey, we're going to get get him on a six year contract, and he becomes the man down there. They they sort of go all in for him. And yet they now they can build this football team with all these draft picks they got from from the trades they made last year. That might be a, an interesting football team. Maybe not so good for the next year or two, but maybe down the road uh, that becomes a team with you know. I said they got those draft picks. And now they got their quarterback. So yeah, that, that's an interesting one. That division is not terrible if Tom Brady leaves it to play in. 
I mean, all of a sudden, everybody becomes more interesting, the Jets, Dolphins, and Bills, if Tom Brady leaves. Of course, the Patriots will still remember, uh, remain the standard with Bill Belichick, but you wouldn't feel like, oh man, there is no way I'm going to the AFC East like you would have before with Tom Brady there. And the Dolphins do have a ton of draft capital. What we see all the time is teams that have high draft picks and they stack them up is that they can quickly become a contender by making a few moves that gives you opportunities for trades that gives you top draft picks and even with Cleveland and our buddy Kevin Stefanski I, I I would bet on them being a competitive team now as long as they're coached halfway decently which I think Miami is it, it's really amazing how quick you can snap your fingers and a team goes from wow they're terrible to oh uh, all of a sudden they're good now and even it kind of happened with the Vikings Mike Zimmer takes over in 2014 they've got high draft picks they've got guys that they pick three first round picks one year and all of a sudden, by 2015, they're winning the NFC North. I wouldn't be super shocked if the Dolphins did that. The only thing is, do they believe more in Teddy's knee than Tua's hip? Or is it worth it to pay Teddy as opposed to trading up to try and get Tua? Do they think that they'll have a shot at getting Tua at number two because Detroit might want him at number three? Yeah, and, and the thing is, once you get your quarterback now, they could go after somebody else. That's the thing, as they go after the... The defensive end from Ohio State, uh, Chase Young, I believe his name is, and, and people just love him. They think he's probably the, actually the best player in this draft, but he won't go number one. Probably Joe Burrow. Uh, but uh, I would listen. I was grinding some Tua tape the last couple of days. He's impressive. Oh, we'll get there. Uh, I'm, I'm very impressed by him, and and he, you know he's not perfect. I actually didn't love their offense uh, at Alabama, like the way the the pass patterns were and sort of some of the things that they were doing. Uh, but he was making his team better, if that makes any sense. The way he moves in the pocket, and and you know he's not he's a he's not a he can scramble. He's not like a, a – you shouldn't confuse him with like a Lamar Jackson guy who's a mm-hmm. big-time runner. He can scramble a little bit, but he's, his, he's got unbelievable great feet and, and quickness within the pocket and around the pocket, and his accuracy is – is very very good. I, I was very impressed by him watching film. So I, I, you know, all the NFL teams are watching a lot of the same film. I watched the Joe Burrow film, and it's yeah, the kid's a really really good player, but he didn't sort of impress me in some ways. Uh, it sounds weird, but he didn't he didn't sort of his his play didn't jump out of the screen at me like two is did. He's he was playing with great both both playing with great teams, but Burrows seems to. His offense was just, uh, I think it was his offense, his offense coordinator with Joe Brady, who's now in Carolina. I loved what they sort of made the game really simple for him so he could get the ball out. He knew he was going with the football, but he didn't wow me. I guess uh, he sort of just you know he was accurate and guys were open and he hit them and he you know he, had, he his decision making was really really good but Tua really wowed me with a lot of the plays that he was making uh, sort of consistently at Alabama and against good teams I don't watch when they play you know uh, you know one of those early games or in the SEC they always play some random late game of the season against like a smaller school mm-hmm. I, I think I watched the LSU game and another big big time team and so uh, I, I'm really impressed by Tua we'll see what the 
what happens with him and what happens with the Miami Dolphins, what happens with Teddy Bridgewater. But as we started the show, Drew Brees is sort of the first domino to fall. Or Phillip Rivers is probably the first one to half fall. We haven't seen where he's actually landed. Uh, But uh, Drew Brees is the first one to fall and to land. So we want to get to more of you grinding the tape in our next segment as well as way back Wednesday. But uh, we have a couple of news things that are interesting. The first is the Washington football squad is bringing back Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson's had his club option for 2020 picked up in D.C. What? I mean, okay, so I was standing there in 2016 talking to Adrian Peterson with the rest of the media, and he said, I want to play for five or six or seven more years, whatever he said. And he's always saying stuff like that. And all of us looked around like, yeah, sure, and I want to live to 180. And uh, yet here we are in 2020, and he's made it this far and may continue to go. This this truly is amazing. He hasn't been great the last couple of years, but the fact that he can make a team want to have him around and give him the football at this age as a running back just defies any sort of logic. Yes, he's a freak of nature. Like the, there's some guys in the NFL that are freaks of nature. Adrian Peterson is one of those guys. The guy, his strength and his speed, uh, and 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 the way he is, the way he runs, and yet he's still been fairly durable. Yeah, he's gotten hurt some here and there, but he consistently, you know, you just wonder what, how long his career would be because early he was the guy that wouldn't go down and fight and scratch for every inch and just take hits after hits. And next thing you know, there's like four guys smashing into him and falling on him and, and over time that wears people out uh it has not worn out him very much and and he doesn't have quite the pop that he had early in his career and, and the explosiveness but still you know the team that he just played for of all teams they think he's a quality back and uh and you know, obviously he's back for for, for another season and and uh, what, what what he was drafted 2007 so this is year 14 yeah Usually him, we do right? not talk about that for running backs. Not even fourteen close. seasons yep. as a running back. That's uh, you know that, that's incredible. But um, you know he obviously did enough for for the team that he was on last year that they wanted him back both off the field and on the field. Yeah, that's uh, kind of surprising that he would still be around. And and you mentioned it uh, when he went to New Orleans. He he did not fit in very well. The first night he's yelling at Sean Payton about him not playing. Um, and then he goes to Arizona, and you just think, okay, this is going to have a sad ending, right? And yet he seems to have fit in with that team in Washington, and they, and they want him there. Uh, as far as older running backs, not something that I would spend a whole lot of money on if I was a front office, but if you're Ron Rivera, maybe you want some veteran players in there to start building some type of work ethic and culture around a franchise that has about the worst culture and the worst view of it from the outside of anyone in the NFL. Yeah, and you know, he I don't know what the, the, was there any contract details from the article that that you saw or from what you I haven't seen anything. Uh, but... Schefter tweeted out just a few minutes ago that they exercise a club option. So my guess is it's not very expensive. So, inexpensive and in the NFL nowadays, you really do need minimum two if not three running backs, and to have a guy with his type of sort of strength, and you know, there's a spot for a guy like him on any football team. If you have, if you're going to play like three guys, as long as you have two other guys who, or at least one other guy who is, 
uh, I should say, sort of the, the, the cowbell back or whatever, the guy that's you know really is getting the majority of the carries and someone with probably a little bit more uh, breakaway-type speed or whatever. But, yeah, Adrian, freak of nature-type athlete. You know, he's not LeBron James, but, you know, LeBron James, one of those freak athletes of the NBA. I always thought Adrian was one of those types of guys, uh, you know, and during all my NFL career, you come across him here and there, and, and he was one of those guys that's like, holy cow, there's there's very few people, if anybody, in this entire planet that sort of have, like, his type of DNA of freak of strength and speed and durability. So with him and, and the conversation about where he ranks in terms of all-time running backs, because he's going to get himself uh, into the – upper echelon statistically of your cumulative stats of all time. Um, I don't look at him as one of the 10 to 12 best to ever play the position. I think he has one of the 10 to 12 best highlight reels, maybe in NFL history. Uh, but in terms of the all-around running back, there were guys who were more valuable, but he also has a special place as being one of the all-time freaks and someone able to continue to have this much success that defied all of what the numbers say. The numbers say that you should be done being a good running back by about 27 or 28 years old, and he's not great right now. He's certainly fallen off, but he hasn't fallen completely off the side of the edge like someone like Emmett Smith did, and he was still leading the NFL in rushing at age, I think it was 31 in 2015. So I, I, I kind of put him in this unique category of very much one-dimensional all he did was run the football he it was not you know going 20 yards down the field on a wheel route or something like that and he certainly wasn't protecting the quarterback in pass pro but uh he in terms of if you put together his best runs ever is one of the most fun of all time to watch Yes, and occasionally they'll just like pop up on Twitter. They'll just have like Adrian Peterson's greatest, you yeah. know, runs yep. or something. Yeah, it was super impressive. Not just the some of the physical nature. I mean, some of his physical runs um, are sort of legendary almost, and and sort of remind you of the old school Walter Payton style runs. And then he also has those breakaways mm-hmm. uh, that go you know eighty five, ninety yards to the house and. And so that that combination is very very rare. Uh, when I'm looking at here, I, I have him as fifth all time currently in most yards, fourteen thousand uh, two hundred and sixteen yards. Barry Sanders is ahead of him. Frank Gore uh, is number three. Then you got Walter Payton and Emmett Smith. And and you know Emmett Smith was a great great running back, but really had you know such a crazy good offensive line mm-hmm. for a lot of that tenure too, uh, with those Dallas Cowboys teams. Um, so, you know, he's obviously amongst the, the all-time greats, head of the Curtis Martin, head of LaDainian Tomlinson. He needs about 1,000 yards, just over 1,000 yards to cross Barry Sanders next year to be fourth. And what's interesting on this list, and, you know, the NFL has become this more of a throwing sport, and uh, no, you, know, you don't have a lot of games anymore where the running back has 35 carries like sort of like they used to have yep. back in, say, the 70s and 80s. But on this list, it is pretty crazy. That Frank Gore at number three, you got Agent Pearson at number five, LaShawn McCoy at 22, all right, and then you've got uh, Marshawn Lynch at 29. And other than that, there are no current players in the top 50 in NFL history mm. 
in rushing. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, the eighties and nineties. I, I saw a chart the other day that it's gone down the, the just percentage of runs from over fifty percent at some point in the eighties to only about forty two percent of plays now are runs. So, um, yep, uh, I don't think he's going to get a thousand this year, but you just can't ever count out Adrian Peterson. You never know. I mean, you know, it's really only about sixty five or so yards a game to get a thousand yards. In the NFL, and I, I think he can be one of those guys that still, in the right game, somehow runs for 180, and in a couple other games runs for over 100. So, you know, if, if he's getting, trying to think, uh, 150 carries this year, you know, he might have an opportunity to get, uh, you know, at least very close to that. If he gets 200 carries this year, he could, you know, try to get close to that 1,000-yard mark. It, 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 it would be nice if it's interesting. It would be pretty cool. Barry Sanders right in front of you. Uh, I can see why Adrian wants to continue to play because it'd be, it'd be nice to cross uh, Barry Sanders as far as uh, all-time rushing. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Sage grinds the tape, and we'll also do some Way Back Wednesday, a game that you were very much present for, one of uh, Brett Favre's most fun to watch. We will uh, come back and return here on Purple Daily. Hey, Scornorth listeners, it's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need When you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever, like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover, if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download brought to you by the Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Purple Daily well underway. We'll get you back to Matthew Collar and Sage Rosenfels as Sage grinds the tape on Justin Herbert and Tua Tunga Viola, as well as looking back at a pivotal playoff game for the Vikings back when Sage was a Minnesota Vikings. But first, win four tickets to Arnie's Cabinet this year's 3M Open through the Score North app. Download the app, register your app, and enter to win. Tickets include tournament admission for Thursday, July 23rd, access to a climate-controlled hospitality tent near the 18th Green, and complimentary food and full bar. For tickets to this year's 3M Open, visit 3MOpen.com. Also visit scorenorth.com because right now Matthew Collar has a piece on something CBS NFL insider Jason Lockonfora said. He said the window is slamming shut on the Vikings Super Bowl chances. So Collar analyzes whether that window is closed, how whether it's open, and then he comes to the conclusion how far closed or how much open that window truly is for the Vikings heading into a very pivotal offseason for them. The best price on everything golf is at the Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show, February 21st through the 23rd at the Minneapolis Convention Center. All advance pay tickets come with 21 green fee passes. Go to minnesotagolfshow.com to buy tickets. That's been your score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Now on Purple Daily. Every football team eventually arrives at a lead play, a number one play, a bread and butter play. It's time for Sage to grind the tape. All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, former Minnesota Vikings Sage Rosenfels. And yes, it is that time for Sage to grind the tape. So you watched two quarterbacks uh, who, let's just say you had very differing opinions on, Justin Herbert and Tua Tugaviola. Which would you like to talk about in detail first, Sage? Well, we talked about Tua earlier uh, a little bit, and, and I was impressed with him by his accuracy, by his movement in the pocket. Um, he's scrambling, he scrambles around, uh, but he made some really, really impressive 
uh, instinctual throws and sometimes off schedule and a lot of times just on schedule. But I was really impressed by his accuracy. Um, and I was not impressed by Justin Herbert. He, he, it, 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 Herbert is such an interesting prospect because he checks all these boxes for like NFL GMs. He's, I think he's 6'5", 225, 230 pounds. Uh, if you just look at him as an athlete, he's an impressive-looking athlete. Um, and, you know, he, he, can, he sort of reminds me of a, sort of a body like Carson Wentz. Right. Mm-hmm. Not only a, just a tall guy, but but also a guy who's very athletic. But he's not Carson Wentz. I would say he probably plays uh, like uh, Brady Quinn. That's huh. probably more mm-hmm. in a sense of he's more too sort of robotic. Uh, he doesn't have very good mechanics. Like that's just sort of blatant. Uh, sticks out to me is as mechanics could use some work. Um, his footwork could definitely use some work. Um, he's still pretty raw, and that's sort of surprising. A kid, you know, West Coast kid in, in, in Oregon. Usually, those guys are have been trained a little bit better, but he seems to be like a little raw, but like not a guy who sort of makes his team better. You know, he can scramble sometimes, and they would use him occasionally in some of their run stuff. And he's a good runner, uh, for sure, for, for his size. But um, And he's got a cannon. Like, he can throw you a fastball. He's like the guy who can throw it from third to short as good as anybody at the tryout. But his actual sort of gamesmanship, uh, which is sometimes hard to describe, but his gamesmanship and making everybody around him a much better player, I didn't see him do that. So I, the issue I had with him watching a couple of games this year was the situational football. It, it just seemed like when they needed him in late games and things like that, that he wasn't the guy who was coming up with the big throw. It was usually him coming up short. And, you know, your third down and longs and stuff like that. I look for that a lot. I saw a stat today about Tua that he was the best in college football on third down and long. And I always watch for that when I'm watching college games. How does the quarterback react when things aren't easy, when you can't have play action or a bootleg or any sort of trickery, when you've just got to make a throw? Or it's the end of the game and you have to lead a game-winning drive. Because if you can't lead a game-winning drive in college, why am I going to think that you can lead one in the NFL? And sometimes Or, or sometimes the biggest drives are the ones where you're leading and you're up by three. Right, put them away. And- Yep. And those are the most like nerve-wracking pass plays. You're up by three. There's three minutes left, and you know that every throw is huge. And you got you got to complete them, and you got to you know the, the, the other team's going to be totally stacked to stop the run, and you have to complete this throw because if you don't, the clock stops, and yada yada yada. They get the ball back, and now you're behind by four points. And so, uh, yeah, two is one of those guys who just sort of has the guts and and the ability to said to, to sometimes to buy time, but to make those throws and. And I didn't watch, you know, all 13 or 14 games from Oregon last year. I watched two of them. Uh, but, you know, I was, I was a little bit underwhelmed by, underwhelmed by, said his sort of throwing performance and how, did he make his team better? And I always go back to, we talked about Breeze earlier. I go back to his Purdue days when I was with him at, uh, when I was, uh, came out the same year as him. You know, he was at Purdue, which nobody really had thought was a, basically a football school, basically probably since, like, Mike Allstott was playing, and then before <laughs> that, like, Bob Greasy back in, like, the, probably yeah. the late 60s or yeah. something. I mean, they just were not a football school, and here this kid comes six foot from, from Texas that no one recruited, and they win the Rose Bowl that year, right? I mean, obviously with not 
a, a loaded roster, and those types of guys make everybody around them better. And you can't. It's not. There's not a stat there. Uh, you, you don't get to see it at a press conference. You only get to see it if you're like within a football team and how valuable those guys are. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I heard a little little rumor yesterday that uh, Herbert just does not love football. You know, I, I hate to get into that and say that about something about like a player like he doesn't love the game, but. I, I sort of heard that he's not one of those guys who just, you know, can't get enough and has that serve, that it, that grit that guys like Breeze uh, have, that which which makes them great players for a long time. And and next thing you know, you, you, you see all that talent. You see the, the size and the arm strength and this, that, and the other. But then you end up with Jake Locker. Right or or somebody like that who maybe doesn't love the game and and uh, you know just doesn't not, doesn't end up having a the, the crew that you want them to have. You have to have like a competitive edge to you, yeah. Uh, that sort of burns in you every single day. Um, and uh, you know, I, again, I'm not going to make that judgment on Herbert. I just didn't see him on film making all the players around him better. Well, and if there's one thing that I learned from watching the uh, Gruden quarterback camps for a long time, which if you watch the longer form version of those, they're really good. The parts that they would play on SportsCenter, the two-minute parts, would usually be Gruden just being Gruden and his personality. But when you would watch 20 minutes with a guy, you would see how they reacted to criticism. You would see how they reacted to uh, him quizzing them and and even just how they interacted with another person in the room. And I I miss those greatly because I would love to see that with someone like Justin Herbert because he reminds me a little bit Maybe this guy's not quite as good of an athlete, but is someone like Brock Osweiler, someone who doesn't have this natural presence to them, but is certainly very large and has the arm strength and everything else. But I remember Gruden saying, hey, uh, Brock, why was your running back confused at who he was supposed to block? Isn't that on you? Aren't you supposed to tell him? And Brock Osweiler was like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. I was like... Yeah, that's kind of a pretty big mistake there, Brock. Uh, you know, you might want to explain what happened there or something. And, and you just got the sense that he wasn't one of those guys. And then you remember when Peyton Manning threw his helmet on and ran out there when Osweiler was supposed to be playing because Osweiler just wasn't leading his team out there, didn't have his helmet on, wasn't ready to go. And I'm not saying Herbert will be that, but if you don't have that sort of competitive fire where you're locked in all the time, you're just not going to do super well as an NFL quarterback. Could, could you see... I could see Justin Herbert going to say the L.A. Chargers. You know, he's a West Coast Pac-12 quarterback. Uh, Chargers entering that new stadium. Mm-hmm. I could sort of see, you know, obviously they're starting over at quarterback. I could see that. You know, they're, they, people always say like they're going to need to make some sort of splash. I believe Tyrod Taylor is their back at quarterback. Yeah. He's not. I mean, do you want to open up this new stadium um, with, with Tyrod Taylor as your quarterback, or do you want to either a Try to uh, Drew Brees, of course, off, but try to go after some name that people will show up to, or draft a guy that just recently played in that West in that Pac-12 conference. So um, some some people have that place. In uh, particular, there seems to be a thing where like quarterbacks that play in the Pac-12, a lot of times teams like to keep them on the West Coast because you know, oh that they'd be terrible in Chicago or they'd be <laughs> terrible in Pittsburgh or. One of these, you know, cold weather places, and and this sort of fits that bill of uh, a West Coast quarterback staying on the West Coast. Um, yeah, the, which that's a, a funny theory. There's all sorts of like funny theories. Wasn't uh, 
I mean, Rogers went to Kale, so I think he's done okay in the cold weather. <laughs> the, yeah, uh, that that's always funny. I mean, Brett Favre great in the cold weather, and he's a Mississippi guy. Um, oh, he's got big hands. He can throw in the wind of Buffalo is something you hear all the time with EJ Manuel and Josh Allen. Like, I'm glad glad your hands are really big, but you're not very good at quarterback. Uh, I just wanted to give you a couple stats on Justin Herbert from Pro Football Focus. He ranked 50th in FBS in the accuracy percentage on throws from one to nine yards, which I think is a huge deal. In the NFL, a lot of your throws are one to nine yards, and you see Drew Brees just dominate by throwing short passes, and Brady has done it for years. You're only throwing a handful of balls a season, uh, maybe 60 or something downfield. I was going to say, like, and like Kurt Warner was a guy probably from the Arena League that was just deadly on like just little short stuff, and, yep. and he could get the ball out quick and had a quick release. And you have to be really accurate. That's another thing I saw. They ran their fair share of sort of bubbles and these little short sort of plays, and and he was continually inaccurate on those types of throws. Like those are the ones you just can't miss. Yeah. And you know you, you can't always tell sometimes with things down the field with his receivers with this that and the other. But the short stuff you got to be just money on, and he missed uh, more throws than any you know sort of top or first round quarterback. I uh, should miss, in my opinion. Yeah, he, to me, is the classic red flag Josh Allen, Blake Bortles, just a big, giant guy with big, giant hands who throws it really hard, but that's not how you win in the NFL. And uh, teams just fall in love with this guy. Every single year, there's one of these, and they almost always go bust. Um, I, I got a text uh, the other day, by the way, from our guy Eric at uh, Pro Football Focus. Eric Eager, yeah. Yes, and Eric uh, said, I have Anthony Gordon as the third best quarterback in this draft ahead of Justin Herbert. That is your guy. And also, Anthony Gordon was the best short passer in terms of accuracy, which I think, even though he doesn't have great athleticism or this monster arm, that's a huge deal. I mean, that's that means that... Quick release and accurate on short stuff is huge. That, right, I mean, that and that really means that you huge. can counter when opposing teams have Nick Bosa. Like, you just can't overstate how much the game has changed with the defensive ends, where every team has two amazing edge rushers that are going to get to you super fast. It's a big problem for the Vikings when Cousins won't get rid of the ball, and you see a lot of the best quarterbacks, if they can have short passing accuracy that's the only way to counter that so i i like a guy who can do that in college yeah and so you know we're going to see these quarterbacks up close and personal aren't we in in a in a week i think a week from tomorrow nfl combine thursday at the nfl combine in indianapolis i really hope there's a lot of walking around downtown minneapolis during the combine from the convention center to the hotels to the places to eat and to, you know this that and the other and, and a lot of networking going on so i'm really hoping for good weather next year in indy we had great weather last year it was like 60 degrees on a couple days and so looking forward to that looking forward to these guys actually throw uh on thursday but i will be working with that anthony gordon a little bit i think tuesday and wednesday after either afternoon sometime or even in the evening to get out somewhere and try just to do a little bit of throwing because, you know, those guys just show up and you haven't thrown for three days and they ask you to throw. So it's sort of an odd situation the way that combine works. And, and uh, I'm going to try to, try to you know, have a, one last couple of meetings with him before he throws and, and get him ready. Well, that's awesome. That's uh, insider information here on the show on Anthony Gordon. Um, okay, so every Wednesday now, Sage, here's what we're doing because it's the off season, and there's a really long time until we play a football game again. So I am beefing up on my recent Vikings history by going back and watching full games of 
things that happened in Vikings history. So I've started with recent playoff games. Now, I uh, remember quite well what happened in New Orleans in 2009, but what goes often forgotten is what happened the week before against the Dallas Cowboys in probably one of the most exciting moments in a very, very long time for Minnesota Vikings fans, a home playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys. You were there. And I watched it back yesterday into this morning. And I, and I, I gotta say what I was blown away by, Sage, is we always think of Favre and, and 2009 is defined by Favre and, of course, Gary Anderson. But what goes a bit forgotten, I think, is just how great the defensive line was. Like we, we talk about the Williams wall sometimes, but Ray Edwards was really good. Jared Allen is dominant. At one point, they try to block Jared Allen with Jason Witten, and it's just hilarious because it just blows right by him and sacks Tony Romo. And it was exciting to watch back how good that defense was. And even that defense played really well in New Orleans and, and gave them a chance to win that game, too. Yeah, I think New Orleans, we had nearly 500 yards of offense, and they had like 275 or something like that. Our defense was really good that year. And I went back and watched that game as well, and, and it stuck out You know, early in the game. They're talking about the way the Vikings stopped the run. I think they led the league in rushing against like for three years in a row and maybe were second in that 2009 season. So when you can stop the run, and I know it's a passing league, but if you can stop the run and force teams to have to throw, then you have Jared Allen, uh, and then you have you know other pass rushers. Uh, you know Kevin Williams for uh, an inside guy was an excellent pass rusher, um, but uh, you had to have these other guys on that football team who could really get after the quarterback. Um, it, it was you know once you sort of got the lead, sometimes it was just really really tough for opposing teams to to throw the football and obviously you, you couldn't run it so you end up with third and nine third there was a whole bunch of like third and 13s that tony romo had to try to run around and make things happen and, and they end up getting sort of ugly he threw he fumbled a couple times uh he threw an interception to ben lieber uh in that football game and and it was actually decently close at halftime i think it was 17 to 3 at the end of the third quarter, and they almost. missed two field goals. They so missed two they, field goals, so it was a fairly competitive game, and then we just overwhelmed them in the fourth quarter. And obviously, then you know Favre worked his magic, and and him and he and I think Sidney Rice had three touchdowns in that football game. And and we, you know one thing that definitely occurred is that there was about three times where Favre ran to his right, yes. and then threw back to his left, and found a couple different players. I think Sidney Rice twice in that in that game. And uh, Troy Aikman even mentioned, there's Brett Favre running to his right and throwing back over the middle. <laughs> That's what, what you're he not does. supposed to do, but he's been doing his whole career and having a ton of success at it. As Favre rolls to his right, on the move, throws. That's Brett Favre doing what he has done his entire career. And Brett Favre has great confidence in Brett Favre. How long has he been rolling to his right, throwing back across his body over the middle of the field, which is a no-no, and doing it with great success? It was like this uh, preview of what was going to happen exactly a week later in New Orleans. But he did it a couple times in that ball game and it worked out extremely well. Favre played great in that game. Adrian, he had a lot of carries but not a lot of yards. I feel like he had about 25, 28 carries but, you know, 70 yards or something like 26 that. 26 for 63 is what he had. Yeah, so, but the defense was, you know, he got those turnovers and, and then at the end, man, just it was just sort of daggers at the end of the game where once the Cowboys got behind, they had to blitz us a little bit more. And 
and we decided to throw the ball in a couple situations uh, rather than run out the clock and end up being a, ba- a, a blowout, 34-3. to But it was a really good ball game for three quarters. Do we write the narratives after, or can you tell right away that Tony Romo just did not look comfortable? He comes out and fumbles on the first drive, and everything felt like there's no way they're coming back, as I was watching it. Just because maybe the offensive line wasn't holding up against the Vikings defensive line, but also he was so good at improvising and going off schedule and making plays throughout his career. But he tried to do it a couple of times in this game, and at one point he just sort of gave up. He was running around a little bit and he shred a couple of tackles, but then he's like, nah, I'm just going to slide. I can't, I, there's nothing here for me to make a, a play, and I've kind of had enough. It, I, I've never thought. Romo is a choker because he really did have some great games in the playoffs. But in this one in particular, I don't know. I think there must be right on the sideline a feeling of, oh, this is not going to work out good for this guy today. Well, they they were moving the ball. It seemed like you know not not like domination wise, but they were sort of consistently moving the ball on on, on a lot of their drives, and then just coming away with either it, they end up turning the ball over with a couple fumbles that he had, or uh, as you said, those missed field goals. They had two of them right. in this football game, and then things just sort of got out of hand. And and you know, in that stadium, in the in the uh, the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome, when you got a lead and you're stopping the run. I mean, it was just like feast time for for Jared Allen and, and those guys, and and it was such a big advantage getting off the ball and, and beating those tackles who couldn't hear anything. I thought it was the loudest stadium in the NFL uh, of the course of my career. It's a, I played a lot of loud stadiums, Seattle and all these places. I, I think it was the loudest, uh, you know, that game for me that I had ever heard the way that home field advantage advantage was. And so, you know, Romo, remember Brad Johnson saying. You know, Romo is the guy that can get out of a phone booth as there's like eight guys in the phone booth <laughs> yeah. trying to get him. Yep. He could just, he did that time and time again. And, and he was trying to do that some of that game. And that's where a couple of fumbles happened. And as, as you were sort of saying, at, at some point, sort of near the end of the game, he almost sort of gave up trying to be, be, uh, sort of the playmaker because he was just, you know, just getting his tail kicked in. On the opposite side of things, Favre's throw to Sidney Rice to start the game. And you see Wade Phillips and his defensive coordinator yelling at each other because there was some sort of mishap on defense. But the throw is just outrageous. He gets hit and launches it down the sideline. The coverage is pretty decent. It just falls right into Sidney Rice's hands. And then later in the game, he jukes out a defender with a pump fake. The the defensive lineman jumps and flies out of the way, and then he flips the ball into the end zone. I mean, Favre was just bawling in this game. I mean, he, he wasn't just doing things that were great, like game managing and and. Dallas is falling apart. I mean, he is making play after play. Like you said, he only threw 24 passes. Four of them are touchdowns, and about 10 of them of the 15 completions are crazy awesome. I mean, just the the first touchdown of the game he throws is a play called Fox 2X and Y hook, and, and the Z receiver, who is Sidney Rice on the play, he has a post route, right? So if you're getting what they call quarters, there's a chance that safety gets caught up with the tight end and you have a post over the top, you know, mm-hmm. throw that sort of ball near the hash. Versus cover two, it converts to a go route. That's sort of how the that route sort of goes, and, and they play cover two, and the safety's just too shallow, and, you know, usually when you get cover two, you're just not looking at it. Like the, the Z receiver's now just sort of running off, clearing out that safety. You're going to try to work that tight end to your running backs. Like that's sort of the play. Like cover two, you're off of Z. But their safety was playing cover two, but was just a little bit no, nosy and, and was trying to sort of mess with, uh, uh, you know, Favre as far as, like, am I coming down? Am I going back? And, and he did not get his depth, and Favre just went out and threw it. 
and the safety couldn't play it. His back was 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 uh, uh, to the quarterback, and Sidney Rice caught it. That's the first touchdown of the game, and and uh, yeah, then he had another one. It was like a bootleg, and he pumped, and the guy goes up in the air, and he steps up and hits Sidney Rice for another touchdown, and at the end of the game gets this blitz and, and throws another one up for Sidney for his last touchdown, which he literally walked into the end zone. Yep, and, yep. and to finish the whole thing off, uh, just an absolutely perfect throw on a fourth and three to Vasante Shanko in the corner of the end zone, uh, end zone is, as I said, you know, is fourth and three. We're sort of trying to round out the clock at that point, but, you know, there's no point in not throwing it. Uh, you know, run's not going to do any good because if you don't get it, the clock stops anyway. So we throw it, and, and Favre just throws an absolutely perfect ball in the corner of the end zone to Shanko to just sort of wrap up, a, you know, basically a magical, perfect day, probably one of his better uh, uh, postseason performances of, of his career. So uh, way back Wednesday, what I want to do is lessons that we learned from whatever game we watched. Um, the last episode, Sage was with Judd, and uh, we basically said, Jake Reed, give that man his credit, was the lesson. Uh, this one, I think... You know what? You can never have too many guys who are good at football around your quarterback. Adrian Peterson obviously was great, but Chester Taylor makes a few plays in the game where I went, "Oh, hello, Chester Taylor, you're good." And of course, Percy he was like Harbin, the perfect. He was like the perfect alternate back. Yeah, for AP, he was a third down guy. Uh, you know, Adrian was not good with protections. He was very good with protections. Really football smart, and and you caught the ball well out of the backfield. He could run some option routes. Was good when he was just a you know, traditional tailback, and they hand the ball off in the eye, but he was sort of the perfect third down back for Adrian as sort of the first and second down guy. Oh, last thing for you, uh, questions on this. Um, what was the locker room like after that? I don't even remember. I, I To be honest with you, I'm sure everyone was really happy, but I sort of feel like, you know, we had been, that whole season was weird, but it was all sort of like, about the championship game, about mm-hmm. the Super yeah. Bowl, getting yeah. to the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. the, you know, week three, it was sort of in the back of our minds, or we finally had that first loss or whatever. It was sort of, uh, you know, where is this as far as first round by or, or first, you know, are you the one seed, the two seed, the three seed, you know, all those types of things. I mean, really on in that early, early on in that season, like that was always in the, the, the back of our mind. And so I... You know, I think everyone was thrilled. Obviously, we won the football game, but I think very quickly we're like, let's, you know, we're we're gotta go to New Orleans. Like, let's go get this thing, and and we're very much, you know, sort of moving on at that point. And and because the, uh, you know, the goal very very early on in that season was to get to the Super Bowl and and to win it. Right. And uh, after watching that, I'm sure people felt like. Favre should roll out more to his right and throw across his body. That always works. That play always <laughs> that works. That is his play. Uh, all right, Sage. Well, this was fun. We'll do it again sometime soon with uh, Way Back Wednesday. And you and I will connect again on Monday. And then after that, you and I will be together in Indianapolis doing the show from there. I'm looking forward very much to that. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Uh, we will take a break. When we return, Pro Football Focus's Ben Lindsay will talk about how the Vikings can solve their salary cap issues. That is next. Here you listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Join Score North at the 2020 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show this Friday, February 21st through Sunday, February 23rd. Your ticket includes gate admission, 14 free greens fee passes, plus seven bonus greens fee passes with advanced purchase, courtesy of TwinCitiesGolf.com, and one free polo shirt. Tickets and more information over at scorenorth.com, keyword golf. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. 
It's Purple Daily. I would just say this. If Delvin Cook does not have an extension, I definitely wouldn't expect to see him around the facility this spring. Uh, come training camp, we'll see because there's a whole bunch of implications and fines and everything else. But I mean, he's played three years at that position. He showed this season when he was uh, fully healthy what he can do. He's had some you know, unfortunate injury situations, obviously, through the, uh, the course of his career. But he's in a, a good position in that he doesn't have a fifth-year option to the second-round draft pick. Uh, his extension is going to need to come sooner than later. Again, that was NFL Network's Tom Pelissero on with Mackie and Judd and Rami yesterday. Back here, hour number two, Matthew Collar, Jonathan Harrison producing. Last hour, I accidentally said Gary Anderson in reference to 2009. Obviously, I did not mean that, and I am sorry. Uh, obviously, I, you know, just whatever. The travesties run together. Um, so you say. There's enough of them that so, it's okay. For whatever reason, because we were talking about Favre throwing back across his body, it clicks. So, what's the other one that went horribly <laughs> wrong? Oh, that one. So, you know. Didn't. And they both happened in N- or NFC Championship games. So, so. Right, right. Uh, but that clip that you pulled is so great from Joe Buck saying, Yeah, Favre, he rolls to his right, throws across his body. It's like the best thing he does. <laughs> like, Every yes, time. Joe Buck, uh, that'll work out just fine in the following week. Great foreshadowing. All right. Uh, Want to bring in now for Pro Football Focus, Ben Lindsay wrote a great and very detailed analysis of the Vikings' cap situation and where they will need to make changes and how to fix their problems. Ben, what's going on, buddy? Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going really well. Um, unless you are the Vikings trying to handle their salary cap, then it's not going so good. Um, where yeah. do we start with this? I mean, the, I, I think the, the probably the proper place is with who might not be here. And you lay it out with Xavier Rhodes and Everson Griffin and Linval Joseph and possibly even Riley Reef. Who is smart to move on from because it creates you cap space? And who for the Vikings might, you might question it a little more trying to keep them around, even if it's not perfect for your cap. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think the first guy there that makes the most sense to get rid of is Xavier Rhodes. Um, he just is not playing at a high enough level to warrant $9 million, uh, the savings that you would get if you cut him. Um, he basically he allowed 84% of the passes against him this year to be completed. Uh, that was the worst mark in the NFL. So I think Rhodes makes the most sense to get rid of. And then you move to a guy like Linval Joseph. So he, obviously the nose tackle position, um, is not as valuable in today's NFL, uh, as some other spots. He's making, he's cutting him would save over 10 million. Um, so I, I think that those two make the most sense. Uh, the two that are a little bit tougher to swallow. Go ahead. No, I didn't say anything. Go ahead. Uh, all right. The two that are a little bit tougher to swallow are uh, Griffin and Reef. Obviously, Reef would uh, – I mean, he's, he's solid. Uh, he's sort of middle-of-the-pack starter at left tackle. Um, but their cap space is tight. They're over $10 million past the cap limit right now. They've got some other players they're looking to resign. And then Griffin, he's over – you would save over $13 million cutting him. He's the best of that group. Um, but he's getting up there in age. And they've got a guy like Adinic Bo who played pretty well last year on in a rotational capacity and might be able to step in. 
So when you move on from Xavier Rhodes, you're probably okay with replacing him with an average player or even a draft pick to step into that spot because he was so poor. But the other guys, even though I, you know, I looked at the grades that you put out there uh, on in your article, and Linval Joseph's pass rushing especially has gone down and down and down since uh, especially 2017 where he was one of the most dominant players at his position – but replacing a guy who's that big and who's that powerful at that spot uh, that has been important for Mike Zimmer in the past, how hard is that to do for a defensive lineman who's been really, really good for this team over the last few years? Yeah, I mean, you're looking to replace a guy who's sort of been a fixture of the defense, uh, a big part of what they've done in their success. That's hard, but... um there's guys, I mean, there's guys that they could probably go look after in free agency that could come cheaper. Um, guys like Andrew Billings, maybe Danny Shelton, um, Michael Pierce would probably be cheaper. Uh, I think the savings, uh, just, just make that worth moving on when they have other players in more valuable positions to sort of look after. Yeah, I, I think so, too, with the nose tackle position. Um, the best of Linval Joseph would be really, really hard to replace, but the current version is probably someone you can find on the free agent market for a couple of million bucks. The, the thing I wonder about with all these changes is, in a bubble, each one kind of makes sense. Like, oh, Everson Griffin, okay, that's fine. Or maybe you don't re-sign Trey Waynes. All right, that's no big deal. And Anthony Harris. But the accumulation of these, Ben... It, there's just not enough space that they can create, I think, versus draft capital that they could spend that is going to make this an uber-talented defense for next season. But how can they get close if they lose Griffin, if they lose Harris in free agency, if they let go Trey Waynes, if they let go Linval Joseph? What's the best approach to getting them to still be a reasonably good defense or in the ballpark of where they were last year, which was fifth in the NFL in points? Yeah, I think, well... So to answer that, I think there's probably a pretty good chance that the defense isn't going to be as good. Um, just looking at everything they have to do, I think the top priority should be to re-sign Anthony Harris. Um, it's going to it's going to be pretty costly over at our free, free agent rankings page. He's projected four years, fifty six million, something in that range. But he's been one of the most valuable safeties in the NFL the last couple of years, um, and then. So they need to free up the cap space to do that. And then replacing guys like Griffin and Joseph, um, that is probably either taking shots on guys like Vinnie Curry maybe at edge, cheaper free agent options that have a little bit of upside and have shown the ability to perform, and then the draft. Um, our lead draft analyst, Mike Renner, has not taking Marlon Davidson in the first round of his latest mock as a guy that played the edge at Auburn. Um, but he projects more to be sort of a three technique in the NFL. I think they're going to have to hit a hit on some free agents that are a little bit more high upside, high downside, and then look in the draft early. Well, let's circle back to the, the Anthony Harris thing because he's really good and it was a great playmaker for them. And I could see why he would be so high on the PFF rankings after covering every game, but there's also the matter of they're already spending a lot on Harrison Smith, and there aren't too many teams in the NFL, Ben, that are spending 20 or $30 million on their safety position. How valuable is it when we're ranking positions on the defensive side? Because I look at it as 
I mean, it's great to have this outstanding player to go along with another guy who's borderline Hall of Fame in Harrison Smith, but if you end up neglecting the cornerback position with the money you're spending because of it, I I think you're going to get similar results to last year when they struggled with Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes in there. Yes, the the value um, of the safety position, safety and cornerback, uh, two most valuable positions when you're looking at it through some of the stuff our data science team has done. Um, but I, that's a fair point at cornerback. The thing is, there's not a whole lot of ways to spend money at cornerback this mm-hmm. offseason. You've got guys like Byron Jones and Chris Harris, and then it sort of falls off um, after that. So I think the way to do it is to look for your cornerbacks in the draft and go after Harris, even though that means – you're spending a lot of money between him and Harrison Smith. Right, we have to talk about the Riley Reef part of this. We're talking with Ben Lindsay of Pro Football Focus, wrote a great piece about the Vikings and how they have the worst cap situation in the NFL and how they should navigate that. The Riley Reef part of this is tough because when you go through your guys' grades and the pressures allowed and all those things, what you find is Riley Reef is a mid pack left tackle. I think you probably, in order to get the most out of Kirk Cousins, have to be better than a mid-pack left tackle, but also being better than a mid-pack left tackle is very difficult to find. So if they decided to just straight-up cut Riley Reef, what is the answer after that? Is there someone in the draft who could start right away? Is there a free agent option that would make sense to fill that gap till they could develop someone to be there? Because I think, Ben, that this team is still viewing... 2020 as a year where they can win the NFC North and be in the playoffs and compete for a Super Bowl, normally you don't want to take a, a, even an average player at a really important position and just you know throw them in the garbage for someone who's young that's going to have to develop. So what can they do at left tackle if they do cut Riley Reef? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. Reef is definitely the he's out of that group before. I think he's the hardest to cut. Just because if you're looking at free agency, there's not a whole lot of options that the Vikings could realistically target um, at left tackle. So I think if they were to replace them, they would have to be through the draft. And I think the way they do it is if in the first round, if any of Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, or Josh Jones, if any of those three fall to 25, I think it would make sense to take one if Reese isn't there anymore. But how much are you risking Kirk Cousins' life by putting a rookie in there? I mean, even Andre Dillard last year, you guys, Pro Football Focus, loved Andre Dillard. He has to go in at times for Jason Peters, and naturally, because he's a rookie in the NFL, it doesn't go particularly well for him right away. And eventually it might, but left tackle is one of those spots that I think is really tough to fill when you're trying to win now to just throw a guy out there and say, yeah, he'll solve all our problems. I mean, even on the offensive line in general, Garrett Bradbury was the guy who was supposed to solve their problems in the interior, and he absolutely did not do that, and they still had the same struggles that they did the year before. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, that's why I was saying Reef is probably, the, out of those four, the hardest to replace. Um, so they feel that they can, if they get rid of guys like Rhodes, Joseph, possibly Griffin, if they get rid of them and they have enough cap space where they feel like they can make the moves they need to, um, then it makes sense to keep Reef because uh, rook, uh, rookies, especially on the offensive line, do struggle um, in their first year. They tend to. A guy like Dillard had the highest pressure rate allowed of qualifying tackles this year. He was a guy who, out of Washington State, uh, projected really well. 
Um, but he just he just didn't put it all together in his first year. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a risk that the teams would be taking um, if they were to get rid of Drew. Yep, because you go from going against maybe one player who's as good as Nick Bosa to every team has a guy who is rushing over you who's really, really good in the NFL today. And that's why I think this one is really risky. But also, you know, last year, uh, out of Riley Reef, they got a decent season. And uh, the amount of injuries that he's sort of built up over the years, I wonder how much longer that's going to last. Um, for, from your perspective, how risky is it to go after offensive linemen in free agency? Because for the Vikings, that has not always worked out super, super well to go out and try to fill all their problems with free agency. And I remember doing this last year where I looked through all the guys who had been signed the year before and found maybe one or two that worked out and all the other ones blew up in that particular team's face. So if you're looking at, say, keeping Reef there and trying to sign a left guard, for example... Um, how risky is that when you're talking about diving deep into the free agent market if you're trying to fill a spot like left guard? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the free agent market for offensive linemen is pretty wild right now. Uh, DJ Humphreys just signed a massive contract with Arizona, and he was he's a guy who's pretty much he's reached average last year. But mm-hmm. if you're a young, average tackle entering the market, uh, you're going to make a lot of money. At guard, it's the same thing. Guys like Joe Thune and Brandon Scherf are going to make upwards of $10 million a year, um, which I don't think realistically the Vikings can target those sorts of players. So they'd be more looking at guys like Stefan Wisniewski, who had a solid career with the Eagles uh, until his last year there, signed with the Chiefs, filled in on their Super Bowl run and played pretty well. Um, another guy is Eric Flowers, who... People like to make jokes as as expense for good reason. Um, he was pretty bad as a tackle for the that, Giants. That's the guy you want to target, Ben. That's the guy you want to go after. When you, <laughs> when the analysis yeah. is, people like to make jokes at his expense for good reason. So you can get him if you want. <laughs> well, well, for uh, at tackle. So last year he kicked inside the guard for the Redskins, and he actually he played like a middle of the pack guard. Um, so maybe he has more value there, but that's the kind of guys you're looking at if you're the Vikings and you don't have a whole lot of space to work with because the top-of-the-line options aren't going to come cheap. So I'm looking at the uh, TV right now, Ben, and Bomani Jones and Pablo Torre on ESPN are talking about the idea of trading Stefan Diggs. Now, so my head doesn't explode here. There's no good reason for the Vikings to trade Stefan Diggs, and Stefan Diggs has no leverage to force a trade. So they're... The odds of this actually happening are extremely, extremely low. But since you're here and you mentioned getting a third wide receiver, I think that's the real conversation for the Vikings. I don't think Stephon Diggs is going anywhere, but they do need another weapon, in in my opinion. That If you're going to go all in on Kirk Cousins, then go all in on Kirk Cousins and get him a, a number three wide receiver. Last year they thought it was going to be Chad Beebe, but I mean that that's not somebody with a proven track record, and then he gets hurt early, and they're left still with the same song and dance that they've had before. Uh, I, I think that that's an, an underrated target that the Vikings really need. When I know they've got a ton of issues and a ton of places to fill, but if they don't stack up the playmakers, I think we get a lot of the same results. Yeah. Uh, for sure. They they really only had Dig a large portion of last year with Dylan Hurd, and that's it's impressive that their offense did as well as it did. 
with that group. So I think definitely trading Diggs uh, should not be an option. He was one of the better receivers in the entire NFL. He was second in yards per route run last year. Um, and I think adding a third wide receiver, someone maybe like Rashad Perriman, depending on how cheap he goes. Uh, he obviously struggled out the gates with the Ravens, but he picked it up a little bit with the Browns in 2018 and then really turned it on at the end of the year last year with the Buccaneers. Downfield threat, um, fixed the drop issues a little bit. Either looking at someone like him or Danny Amendola, maybe, veteran, slot guy. Um, he'll come cheap. Someone in that someone in that range, I think, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'd I think somebody proven instead of you know a couple of years ago they tried to bring in Kendall Wright that didn't work. Last year was Jordan Taylor that didn't work. Um, so uh, maybe somebody who's actually going to be a, a real target and not picked off the scrap heap. Last thing for you, Ben, before I let you go, I want you to give me your hottest quarterback take for a fun quarterback situation that could end up working out. I mean, whether it's, who knows, Cam Newton goes somewhere, Teddy Bridgewater lands in this place, something that could be unexpected but would be kind of awesome. Yeah, well, um, I think Cam Newton to the Bears would be a lot of fun. Um, Newton's dealt with injuries the last couple years. Uh, He's been pretty bad playing through them. But the last time we saw him healthy at the beginning of the 2018 season, he was playing pretty well mm-hmm. um the panthers were six and two then he hurts his shoulder can't throw downfield um things sort of go down downhill from there but i think him and that matt nagy offense would be a big upgrade over trubisky and what they have now and they still have some pieces on defense so i think that would be a situation where he could come in and the bears could compete yeah, that's a good one. To me, he's the wild card of this entire thing if they decide to move on from him, which it kind of seems like they're going to. Uh, ben Lindsay, you could follow him at uh, PFF underscore Lindsay, which is spelled like you spell it without the D. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, uh, so follow him on Twitter. Great work on the uh, Vikings article, and thanks for coming on, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yep, you can find that at uh, PFF.com and... Uh, let me get the exact title and scroll up here. How the Minnesota Vikings should navigate the worst cap situation in the NFL, which always makes you believe in next year when <laughs> you read headlines like that. Uh, back to the digs thing just for a second. So everyone is talking about it, and it's been one of those things that has been under the surface a little bit, even going back to training camp before last year. I remember Courtney Crone and I having a conversation about Stefan Diggs and whether he was happy and what his future might be with the Vikings and if he would want to get traded or if there would be some headbutting there and such. And after week four, it was certainly reasonable to talk about what the problems were. But if we're going to make this a thing that they talk about on ESPN and every debate show, should they trade Diggs? Who could trade for Diggs? There needs to be a reason why. Uh, trading him for salary cap relief doesn't really mesh at this moment. Uh, I think until after June 1st, that's when you could really get um, cap relief by trading Stefan Diggs. And of course, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either because then uh, what are you trading him for? Picks from you know 2021? Uh, trading him this year for a first-round pick, okay, is your first-round pick going to make the type of impact that Stefan Diggs can? 
Probably not. It's almost impossible that that would be the case. If they did, that player would be rookie of the year hands down. So you can't just replace a guy with that type of talent. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But we've seen from someone like Laquan Treadwell, just, hey, just draft a guy to replace him in the first round. Like, what? You know, okay. All right. Sometimes that works. uh, But unless you're getting a top five pick, and even those go bust sometimes, um, your chances are only a, a coin flip that that player will get anywhere close to as good as Stephon Diggs. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. Diggs is under contract through 2023. So what could he really do? He could take his Instagram that he supposedly deleted his Vikings pictures or something, and he could post middle fingers with Vikings logos on them, I guess if he wanted to, and do crazy stuff like Antonio Brown. But if he was going to do that, then maybe he would have started talking this idea up at the Super Bowl where he did a bunch of interviews and talked about being happy to stay with the Vikings and continue to chase a championship. He didn't say anything anywhere ever that indicated that he wanted out. Now, behind the scenes, there has been enough smoke to believe there's fire that he's not happy with a run-first offense and he would love to get the ball more off and he'd love to be a pro bowler and, and, and such like that. Of course he would. But as far as a trade goes right now, it just doesn't make sense for the Vikings to do. And every time teams have called about Stephon Diggs, the Vikings have told them to buzz off. So the, things would have to be really bad behind the scenes for the Vikings to want to move on from Stephon Diggs. And things were not bad behind the scenes after what happened in week four. They threw Diggs the ball more. He was excellent. He put up huge numbers. He set Viking records and things like that. And why would you want to get rid of that player unless you absolutely had to if you were the Vikings or if you were blowing things up? There's still going to be things probably under the surface where maybe Diggs wants to go to a place that's going to throw more and not talk at halftime of the divisional game about how they need to run. Uh, He might want to actually get the ball when it's not just thrown over 20 yards down the field. I saw a stat that he was one of the most effective in the NFL with throws 10 yards or more. And, you know, your, your response would be, how about doing that more often next year? Getting Diggs the ball more is probably a good thing. But when he's getting painted sometimes as some sort of malcontent or that he's been this big problem guy or this big diva, go back and watch his interviews that he did at the Super Bowl. I don't see any of that. Uh, the The worst thing that he did was missed practice and then said there was truth to rumors. That's it. That I mean, that's the big problem. And if you have an issue with seeing him yell at someone on the sideline where you can't hear what he's saying... Uh, that's pretty hard to draw a whole lot of conclusions off of. And I believe that actually NFL Films put out some of the stuff that he was saying, and he was urging Kirk Cousins to trust him. So I, I don't know. That doesn't exactly scream bad teammate. I have not ever heard from anyone that Stefan Diggs is a bad teammate. He runs hot. He competes hard. And the results show a guy who would go from a fifth-round pick to be that intelligent, hardworking, and competitive to become a star in the NFL and his competitive nature, I think compels him to want more, to want to be on a team that's going to throw all the time, to want to be on a top five offense, to want to be on a team that's going to win a championship. And if last year in week four, he didn't believe that that was this team, you could see why he would have been upset. But since then, all we have is Instagram and some tweets that are just as vague as his tweets have always been. I joked with him about this years ago about his vague and weird tweets I don't know. To me, that's not evidence. 
To me, that's not Schefter or Rappaport or someone credible saying, yes, Diggs is behind the scenes demanding a trade. We have not heard anything like that. It's all purely off of the guy's Instagram. Like I, I know that it's not the most exciting time. We're not even in the combine yet, which we will be next week. But what? We're doing this off of someone's Instagram. Okay. Uh, let's take a break. We come back. It is our random interview of the week. And I'm excited about this one because it's a team that has a very interesting quarterback situation. So we will do that when we return. The NFL interview you did not need here on Purple Daily. Join Score North at the 2020 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show this Friday, February 21st. Through Sunday, February 23rd, your ticket includes gate admission, 14 free, free greens fee passes, plus seven bonus greens fee passes with advanced purchase courtesy of TwinCitiesGolf.com and one free polo shirt. Tickets and more information over at ScoreNorth.com, keyword golf. Jonathan here with the ScoreNorth download brought to you by the Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. We'll get you to the final segment of Purple Daily for the day. But first, you can win four tickets to Arnie's Cabin at this year's 3M Open through the Score North mobile app. All you have to do is download the app, register the app, and enter to win. Tickets include tournament admission for Thursday, July 23rd, access to a climate-controlled hospitality tent near the 18th Green, and complimentary food and full bar. For tickets to this year's 3M Open, visit 3MOpen.com. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up in just about half an hour's time. And uh, just a quick preview, here's what we'll be starting off with based off of that's kind of what Matthew Collar was just talking about here. Here's Colin Coward from yesterday. Minnesota's looking to move off him for the right pick. They are. He's unhappy there. Look at his Instagram. Adam Thielen of the Vikings every day is like, I love America. Stephon Diggs is pay me some money. I saw Give me respect. Posting this on million their blogs as if this was a report. Yeah. Like we are in bad shape when it comes to even handling rumors or anything else in sports media in general. If him saying, "Look at his Instagram," he's so obviously angry that 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 is that that is framed as some sort of legitimate report. Are you kidding me? That's not a report at all. That's Colin Cowherd doing his usual thing where he pretends to know way more than he knows. Mm-hmm. Are you serious? That's what we're starting Mackie and Judd with Rami with in just about 20 or 30 minutes time. The best price on everything golf is at the Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show February 21st through the 23rd at the Minneapolis Convention Center. All advanced paid tickets come with 21 green fee passes. Go to minnesotagolfshow.com to buy tickets. Now it's time to take you on a journey to a random NFL city for a football breakdown you didn't need. Down and dirty, rolling in the mud. All right, our football interview that you didn't need, but you're going to find out how much you did need, is with Eric Williams, who covers the Chargers for ESPN. Hi, Eric, how are you? What is going on? Thanks for having me. Hopefully you feel like you need this after we're done talking. I know. That's the whole that's the whole bit. I was saying to Jonathan, like, I always hope that the reporters aren't offended. The joke is you didn't need it, but you do because it's football. So anyway, I hope people understand it. Uh Eric, am I am I crazy to be ranting like a psycho that a sports talk host just saying he thinks because of someone's Instagram that they want out is not something that we should aggregate as reports. Yeah, unfortunately, that's that's kind of the world we live in right now as a sports media group, um, and that's just so you're kind of fighting back against it a lot to to kind of write what's actually happening instead of again perception and and because somebody says something that's juicy, now you know aggregation sites kind of spin off of that. Um, 
So, I mean, it is what it is. And I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you have to say in 20 or 30 minutes. Okay. Well, now, Eric, you're, <laughs> you have to tell us why Tom Brady's going to be your quarterback. So then all the websites can pick it up and say, Eric Williams said that Tom Brady yeah. is going to play in Los Angeles. So is that happening? And we can recklessly speculate ourselves? Unfortunately, I'm not going to give you any big info in terms of headline-grabbing stuff there. Um, you know, I think, you know, basically what the Chargers have said is kind of what their plan is, at least right now. And both Anthony Lynn and Tom Telesco have said, you know, Tyrod Taylor could be their quarterback in 2020. And it makes sense because Tyrod um, uh, is the only guy on the roster, uh, along with the kid from uh, North, North Dakota State, Easton Stick, who they drafted in the fifth round last year. Uh, but certainly they're going to add to that, you know, whether it's through free agency or the draft, they're going to add competition. Could Tom Brady be a possibility? Yeah, he could be a possibility. I'm, I'm sure they would like to have him in terms of, you know, the name recognition and, and, and be able to sell tickets and that kind of thing. Is it a, a probability? I would think probably not. I think more than likely Brady's probably going to remain in New England, um, but but we'll see what happens. I think the the main thing that you have to take away from the Chargers is, they moved on from Phillip Rivers, and they're going with somebody like Tyrod or another person like that because they want a mobile quarterback that could run Anthony Lynn's system that he ran when he was in Buffalo. So when you look at the draft and you look at guys like Tua or Justin Herbert, they kind of fit the skill set that Anthony wants running his team, a guy that can move so they can run some of the zone read stuff, and a guy that takes care of the football. How much does the new stadium influence what they could be doing at the quarterback position? I think minimally. I think that they're building their roster based on trying to win games and not sell tickets. I think it's an added extra if they can bring somebody that can also do that as well. But um, I don't think you can build a roster based on, on trying to sell seats. I think you have to build a roster based on winning, and then you hope that if you put a winning pro- product out there year in and year out, that, that fans show up. Yeah, uh, but we've come up with so many fun situations for them, Eric. I mean, <laughs> if you're, but if you're, if you are a Chargers fan right now, or you're in Los Angeles and don't have a team, and you're thinking, should I like the Chargers and go to this new stadium yeah. and sit in traffic for eleven hours to get there? Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, you know, that soccer stadium when the Vikings played there, I found it very easy to get there through traffic. I don't think that's going to yeah. be the same for you with the new stadium. But, no, it's going to um, be different. It, what, what's, the, what's the one that's off the wall a little bit that could happen? Because I've been thinking about Cam Newton and Los Angeles. And if you're talking about mm-hmm. a guy who fits Los Angeles in terms of a style, he loves fashion, that sort of thing. He's super flashy and fun to watch play, but also a guy who led a number one offense to the Super Bowl. It would kind of check a lot of boxes. I like that one. Are there other options that you've been thinking about um, that are really interesting for the uh, Chargers quarterback situation? No, I think in terms of splashy names, I think Cam makes more sense than Brady because of what you just mentioned. He is a name. Um, The Chargers just just moved on from a 38-year-old quarterback, so why would they want to sign a 43-year-old quarterback? <laughs> right. Cam is obviously younger, so that makes sense. And he's a guy that can move. He's mobile. He can he can run some of the stuff that Anthony Anthony wants to run. So those those couple things would would lead you to believe that Cam would be a better fit. The one thing I'll say about Cam is health. Anthony Lynn doesn't like guys that uh, that get hurt. Um, he wants guys that are going to be out of the tub and on the field. And so that, to me, would be a, a concern when you're considering somebody like Cam and the injury history that he's had the last couple of years. And the fact, is he going to be the same player he was when 
you know, he led the Panthers to a 15-1 record and was the league MVP mm-hmm. because he relied so much on, on running the football. Is he ever going to be that guy again? I, I, I don't know. I don't know, Eric. Have you ever heard that uh, the best ability is availability? You ever run across that one? Brett Favre made that famous, and then the guy that was here, Philip Rivers, also you know never missed a game. Um, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're looking for somebody like that, but that can move. Uh, also, you can't make the club if you're in the tub. Would be the other one that gets used from time to time. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. tough? How tough is it for that organization to move on from Philip Rivers? There are so many quarterbacks that were great uh, during that era who will either end their careers for sure with their team, like Drew Brees or Ben Roethlisberger, really likely to end his career in Pittsburgh, where they already have. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Rivers is going to go play for somebody else. It looks like that has to be really tough with his great history there. Yeah, I definitely think it was a hard decision for the Spanos family and GM Tom Telesco. Um, I think they, they did fill up a good service by letting him know sooner rather than later, and that shows the kind of respect that they had for him, but the fact that, hey, we're not going to bring you back or, you know, he's not going to sign and go ahead and, and, and figure out where you want to be. We'll give you a couple months to do that. Um, but a, a guy that they knew week in, week out, he, again, he was going to be on a field. He didn't miss a game. Um, and you can't say that about a lot of quarterbacks, mm-hmm. and that helps you in terms of your your planning and drafting for a team when you know that you can just ride in number 17 as your starter and work around that. Um, so certainly when you talk about looking at a new quarterback that's going to be starting for the first time in that organization since uh, 2005, um, it's going to be a big uh, void to fill. And then not only that, but the leadership. Uh, Philip was uh, a great person to be around. He treated everybody with respect from, you know, the, the head of the organization to the guys in the equipment room. He was a very genuine person. Uh, he set a tone for leadership in that franchise, and they're going to have to find other guys that can lead like Philip did uh, to kind of fill that void. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and um, it's something that does get overlooked from time to time. I was there in the oh, I don't, I mean, I don't even know what it's called. Like, I guess it was the locker room, but it was set up way away from the locker room, whatever, at the soccer uh-huh. stadium, and Philip came and stood outside the Vikings locker room for a good five to ten minutes waiting for Garrett Bradbury because the NC State connection, somebody had to go yeah. in and get Bradbury, and he gave him a jersey, and he you know shook hands with him, said best of luck, how's everything working out for you? And I just thought it was a really small thing that I just happened to be standing there waiting for something that I got to see that not too many people did, and he didn't do it to get reported on or anything else like that, but it was it was a small gesture that I'm sure meant a lot to somebody like Bradbury, and that seems to me like how Philip Rivers handled himself the whole time he was there. Yeah, that's cool that you saw that and you can talk about it because there's thousands of stories over the years of Philip doing just that, just kind of that that genuine interaction with somebody that he knows and cares about, um, and he's not doing it for for headlines. He's doing it because it matters to him. Talking with Eric Williams, he covers the Chargers for ESPN. Uh, last thing for you, Eric, with Anthony Lynn's future, they signed him to a short contract extension, which basically means mm-hmm. nothing uh, in the NFL, where they'll just move on from you if they want to. Uh, I was in Buffalo when he was the running back coach there, and I remember a lot of people talking about this guy is going to be an NFL head coach. Rex Ryan absolutely loves Anthony Lynn, yep. and, he, and he would uh, talk about him all the time. 
How tough of a situation is he in, though? Because this new stadium has to play a role in at least how they view it from the top. Like, they're going to want success on the field, I would think, even if those in the front office are saying that it doesn't matter. How much pressure is Anthony Lynn under going into next year? Oh, I think intense pressure, but I, I think that just comes with the job. You know, one of 32 uh, coaches, NFL head coaches, you're going to have an immense amount of pressure to win games, and that's certainly not any different for, for Anthony. I think now Anthony will can truly be evaluated based on having the personnel that he wants to run the offense that he wants. So, like you said, it was a one-year extension. He basically has a two-year deal, which which isn't any job security at all in the NFL. Um but I know that the, the people within the organization are rooting for his success. They like him as a person. They like him as a leader. They like the culture that he's built with this team uh, the first three years that he's been there. Uh, they feel like guys will, will, will go to battle for, for him. They like his no-nonsense approach. He's very uh, transparent in his dealings with players and coaches and will just kind of tell you like it is, very much like his, his one of his mentors, Bill Parcells, um, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of pressure, uh, but I think Anthony understands that and we'll see if he can, if he can match it and, and, and meet the expectations. So now how's this change things for you with the new stadium? Do you have to move? Like, are they changing where they practice or is it the same place? No, the, the setup, the setup's the same. They're still in Costa Mesa, which is in Orange County. Instead of going to Carson, which is about 30 miles from Costa Mesa, you got to go another 20 miles north to Inglewood for, for game days, which is 10 times a year. So, no, basically logistics are, are pretty much the same except for on game days. So you're just going to leave a little bit earlier, like a lot earlier then? Well, I mean, it's L.A., so, yeah, you got to leave <laughs> yeah. a lot earlier. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't have too much trouble, luckily, going to the soccer stadium, but I think that uh, having looked at where the football stadium is going, that is going to be some super fun for everybody. Show up early, leave early. Like anytime I'm in Los Angeles, my in-laws are from there, Eric. And so if we're flying out, we fly out at 6 in the morning and we try to get there by 4. Because if you don't and there's an accident or something, you're just missing your flight. Yeah. It's not great. You basically plan everything around traffic. And, and people are used to it, though, that, that live in the L.A. area. They, they know that's part of the deal. Um, I think people will be intrigued by the new facility. I do think that's going to be a draw. Uh, very similar to, to, to Cowboy Stadium, and I'm assuming mm-hmm. very similar to Minnesota and its new stadium. People going to experience the facility. Um, I think for the first couple years, and the fact that their ticket prices are, are are low, I think that will help the Chargers. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how it goes. Well, Eric, you know what? People did need this interview. You did a great job, and uh, I hope we can catch up again sometime soon. Awesome. That, that that sounds good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yep, for sure. Good job, man. Take care. Uh, Eric D. Williams is his Twitter. He's the only guy I know that has two underscores in his Twitter handle. I didn't even realize that. Why would you do that? That's great. I mean, that he must have been the first person on Twitter, and he realized he couldn't just type in his name regularly, and so he's like, what do I use? Uh, underscore. And he ends up with two underscores. Well, good for him. Good football interview. Yep. Terrible, terrible Twitter handle, <laughs> Eric D. Williams. <laughs> Uh, I should have said that when he was on with us still. <laughs> anyway, uh, I am really interested to see how that works out. It's it's the one that could go in many, many different directions um, with uh, Eric Williams. So I was thinking about something, Jonathan, that we haven't talked about at all. Mm-hmm. And it 
shook in my mind a little bit with Greg Olson signing with the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. The Seattle Seahawks are the team that we just don't talk about at all now and have become incredibly uninteresting <laughs> since they were a Super Bowl contender. Right. Once they lost all their good players, which is kind of what the Vikings are going through now, and they end up being a competitor only because of Russell Wilson. If the Vikings, there's a few things off of this point with the Seahawks. Okay. A, if they draft poorly, as Seattle did for a few years there and didn't replace all their good players like the Richard Sherman, the Cam Chancellor, and so forth, uh, you're not going to get in the playoffs like Seattle because they're only there because of their quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's part one. That if you, like on paper, you can replace Everson, Griffin, Linval, Joseph, Trey Waynes, Anthony Harris, and such, and Riley Reef. But if one of those or two of those don't work out, then you end up like Seattle, only with a worse quarterback who can't overcome stuff. Not one who can run away because your offensive line is terrible, but still find people wide open down the field. That's a team to look at as a, a, a bit of a scary situation. If your draft picks from this year's draft end up being like 2016, where Mackenzie Alexander half worked out, but you didn't get a lot of value out of him overall. He's a second-round pick who couldn't play for the first two years, played decently too good in the second half of his third year, and then was an average nickel corner in his fourth year. There's not a whole lot of value there, and it doesn't help you right away. He was a second-round draft pick. I mean, even Trey Waynes, your first-round pick, who was high, did not step in right away and perform particularly well, and then overall he becomes an average player. The idea that you could just draft people and fill spots when you're drafting 25th, it, it's hard to do. Oh, we'll just draft someone to fill Riley Reese's spot, and he'll just play left tackle. It'll be great. Uh, okay, well, what if he's not any good? Right. <laughs> we know, and this is why I think we'll see some restructures here, because sometimes the de- the devil you know is a little bit safer than the devil you don't, and there's a lot of risk that goes into it if you get a corner in the free agent market, and that corner doesn't pick up on Zimmer's system very quickly, which we've seen. George Iloka was brought here, Tremaine Brock, and neither of those guys could get on the field as free agents that came here. I mean, you're not bringing Terrence Newman back out of retirement, right? I mean, <laughs> No matter how much we want that, it's not going to happen. So, in a way, there's an argument to try and restructure and try to keep the players that you have, and then there's this other argument that says, what if you kind of went toward filling those spots with people that you already do know mm-hmm. and underrated free agents, which might be a better idea. The Vinnie Curry, who is just a rotational pass rusher, uh, I, I like that idea better than, hey, go get this big free agent. Because if that blows up on you, then you're in a worse spot than you were even before if you had just kept Everson Griffin, for example. So I feel like players like Stephen Weatherly, who's a free agent, they'd have to bring him back. Afadi Adenabo. If you have a rotational spot there and add someone else to it and try to fill Everson Griffin's shoes with three people or four people rotating in, that's safer than trying to go out and just spend on somebody else or drafting someone and expecting them to just slide right in. And my understanding is this is not a great draft for edge rushers who could just fill right in. And anytime I hear, as just another side note, anytime I hear, like Ben Lindsay said earlier on the show, well, you see, he's a defensive end, but he projects as something else. You got that? No, I'm out. I'm out. You just don't hear that working very often. No. Oh, he's supposed to play this position in in college, but you know he could play that position in the NFL. All right, uh, that sounds like it doesn't have a great chance of working out, and sometimes it does. 
The other thing I was thinking about with Seattle signing Greg Olson is what about Seattle for being a team that is a legit contender next year? They have been floating around in 10 and 6, 11 and 5 type of land and been certainly good. And who knows what happens if they score a touchdown and end up, you know, 12 and 4 and winning the NFC West and then getting the week off, forcing teams to go out there. They might have been that close to being the team that ends up in the Super Bowl this year, but I still don't think that they were a strong team overall. They surprisingly have cap money to spend, which has not been a thing Seattle has had in quite some time. It's a place with a great quarterback that people want to go play with and a defensive coach who has won with defense before. I don't think San Francisco's going 13-3 again. No. I don't trust the Los Angeles Rams to be any better than they were this year. I mean, they just don't have any money to spend, and they don't have any assets in the draft. Unless Jared Goff turns it around, which is highly unlikely. Right. I mean, could it be better than this year? Probably. But it's hard to see them all of a sudden just snapping their fingers again and going right back to a Super Bowl team. They look a lot like Atlanta. Goes to the Super Bowl and then thinks, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll be a good, good again the next year. And they're mediocre the next year, and then they fall off after that. Arizona is definitely the team to watch for, for me this offseason because they've got all sorts of money to spend and a quarterback who's fascinating. And I think, weirdly, 5-10-1 for Cliff Kingsbury was a win. Their defense yeah. was awful, and they can try to fix that with free agents and draft picks. But to have a fun offense... And Kyler Murray show a lot of potential was what they needed from Cliff Kingsbury, and that worked out. But but they're a year away, probably, from being a legitimate contender. That leaves Seattle as, especially when you go up and down the NFC, and you go, who are the best quarterbacks in the NFC? Breeze comes back. He's not Russell Wilson anymore level, no. I don't think. When you can't throw it more than 25 yards down the field, probably not. When they used to do the NFL um, quarterback club thing, where yeah. they'd throw... The, I believe it was, I was watching one where Jim Harbaugh threw it like 48 yards and Vinny Testaverde and Randall Cunningham were throwing it 70 <laughs> and Favre was throwing it 75. You know, and, and here's Jim Harbaugh who can't throw it through the wind. That's like Drew Brees now. He would need a big windup to throw the ball 40 yards down the field. So Russell Wilson is by far, in my mind, the best quarterback in the NFC. And if they do some smart things or they add some talent in free agency, they would become quickly the favorite. And I feel like we have not even discussed Seattle as a favorite in the NFC next year. I've got a question off your Drew Brees thing there. Is, is Could he, I throw it farther than yes. Drew Brees? No. The answer is no, but close. <laughs> um, is he going to be in that group of he he stuck around one year too long? Possible. Very possible. The only reason I would say it wouldn't be as bad as Peyton Manning is, A, he never had to have his neck fused on. Yeah. That's probably a good thing. Um, and the other part of it would be that he has such a good supporting cast there. Great receivers, great offensive setup. He knows the offense super, super well. But yeah, I mean, for sure, if teams start to rush the passer a little bit differently, like the Vikings did in that playoff game and they steal from them, and Brees is under pressure a lot more than usual, that's possible. I don't look at New Orleans as the Super Bowl favorite for next year because Brees is coming back. I, I think that they're in the mix with a lot of other teams, but... I think we want to start talking about Seattle. All right. 
Uh, what is tomorrow? Alex Boone will be coming up with us tomorrow. Yep. We will have the negotiating table, we'll have hot routes, we'll all sorts of things going on, and you never know what news can break. Because I ranted about Stefan Diggs and why you wouldn't trade him, he'll get traded today. That would be that would be what happens. So, all right, Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. We'll listen to Purple Daily here on Score North.